We're, uh, we're continuing our series, Bad Religion. Um, but this is Bad Religion, the Christmas version. Um, based, of course, on uh, the, the Los Angeles punk band, Bad Religion, led by uh, Greg Graffin, world-famous atheist um, and awesome vocalist. Uh, it, we're, we're coming up on Christmas, uh, and if you are aware of the culture around us, you're also very aware that Christmas is a joke to most people. The idea that, um, that, that, that God was born as like a little baby is just silly. Uh, and it gets made fun of pretty frequently, and oftentimes in a pretty funny way. Uh, if you saw that movie, The Talladega Nights, uh, you remember that one with Will Ferrell, where he's, uh, he's praying to baby Jesus. And he like in his in his world like Jesus never grew up. He only he only likes baby Jesus, and so he's like, oh dear, baby God or whatever. And it's it's funny because you know it's Will Ferrell, and but it's also pretty sacrilegious, and it's a little bit offensive uh, for Christians. But it kind of shows why and, and how the world thinks about what we're celebrating. Because if you're if we're being honest, what we're saying is something a little bit absurd, right? That 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 the whole glory of God that that God in all of God's fullness, is somehow uh, uh, present in a baby. And so uh, it, 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 it's kind of a joke to a lot of the world. But what, what the world doesn't understand is that this proclamation, this confession that this happened, is absolutely essential to us knowing and understanding who God is and what the world is like. And so we're just going to be looking at our verse of the month today, and we're going to see how bad religion is, is countered by the good religion of the incarnation, the incarnation being the, the coming of the Son in flesh. And so let's read this, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Well, that, the, the beginning there, uh, it, it's, it's hard for people to translate. Uh, the word became flesh, that, that's pretty normal. Uh, but then, and lived among us. Skenao uh, is the Greek there behind it. And it, it literally means uh, to pitch a tent. Uh, it means to, like, to pitch a tent or uh, to settle down. And there's a lot of, uh, of, of us here at this church who like uh, doing outdoor stuff like camping um, I, I know that, uh, that, that Bill and Rachel are, are big proponents of this, and, and Scott, a lot of you like to just get out there in nature. Um, and, and so I've, I've been with a few of you like on our men's retreat, and it looks a little bit like this, uh, probably not as you know, picturesque, but it's kind of like that. You know, we're all sitting there, and we're enjoying. We're visiting nature is what we do. We don't, we don't want to have too much nature, but for, you know, upwards of a week, some of you, maybe even two weeks, can handle some nature. And when, when Bill and Rachel talk about it, the way they describe it is they go, we're going to nature to play, right? We're going to nature to have fun. So we're going to go visit this place. It's far away. Uh, Bill and uh, I think, Linda, are you doing this? The Razor? Yes. Have you heard about this? This is a, it's, I call it a dune buggy. Because that's my only reference point. But apparently it's like the world's greatest dune buggy. It's called a razor. It's coming out. Bill made me watch an entire video. It was like 10 minutes long about how great this uh, dune buggy is. And uh, it, he, he was like, Tom, you got to understand it has a 20, what is it, 29 inch something? Whatever. Whatever it is where like, you know, those spring things that, ha- that cars have? Well, it's got, it's got 29 inches of bounce. 
And so there's this guy driving. He's like flying through the air. I'm sitting there being like, I would never do this in a million years. Bill's like, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to go play. My mom's going to buy me this toy. It's true. Never ends. Mom's going to buy me this toy. We're going to have fun. That's what we do. We go to nature. We visit. We check it out. But then once we've had our fun, we come back. Which is way less cool to me or interesting to me than uh, that show on the History Channel alone. You seen this show? I, I think I talked about it before, but it's amazing. Like they, they take these people and they just drop them off in the middle of nowhere, and they have to survive on their own with nothing but like a flint and like uh, their one outfit for ninety days. And then we're talking like it's like it's it's winter, and they are. The only thing that they can do is when they finally give up, they have a satellite phone. And they can, they can call in like a helicopter to come and get them out. But other than that, they are, they are in it. They are with it. It's fascinating to me that anyone would, would do that. Um, and it's even more fascinating to me uh, because I met this guy, uh, Clayton. He was a former special uh, forces uh, guy in the Army. I met him in Minnesota last year. And, uh, and I was talking to him about this show. And he was like, I love it because there's nothing I like more than feeling like I'm right on the edge of death. I was like, this is why God invented special forces for people like you. Uh, that's, I, so I said to him, like, Clayton, that's very odd. And he's like, that's what my wife says. I was like, yeah. Uh, and, and he was like, and I was like, well, tell me more about that. And he's like, what you don't understand is, 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 for those of you who just go camping, right? You're there, you have fun, you know. But, but what I like to do is I like to go out with one, myself, maybe one other friend or something like that. And, and if you're out there and you're, and you're settled in, you, 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 you settle in your, your camp, you create like a camp, and, and then you have to hunt, you have to do all these things. He's like, over time, what happens is you, you feel, you almost become fully in tune with the, the ecosystem around you. You're on a knife's edge. At any moment, if you make a mistake, if you're not focused, if you're not in tune with the wildlife, the, um, the, 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 the plants, you could, you could die. But when you do settle into it, when you find that rhythm, uh, he's like, there, there comes to be this sense of being fully a part of the world around you in a way that we, we never experience in the city. I was like, wow, that sounds really stupid, but also, I mean, probably beautiful in some weird way. Uh, it's interesting, in the ancient world, uh, the ancient world, um, the gods, uh, they, they, would do, they would treat uh, the, the world like, like we treat it, right? Like, they'd just come visit for a while, they'd have some fun, play around with humans. You know, that's how the, 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 the ancient world thought of, of the gods. They would come down, they would, they would visit, and then they would go back home where they belonged, Right? Um, and then now, and then later, after Christianity came, uh, in some of the later versions, like uh, in Islam, in um, in uh, deism and, and modern atheism, where there is no God, God, God just stays up there. God never visits, right? God never visits. God, God's beyond. He's above. Uh, and, and, and there's never a sense when God is, is here present with us. Christianity is the only uh, faith that, that, that says that God in God's self came and fully embraced and fully lived and became in tune with us. Joined us fully. 
some of the other, the nature religions say that, that God, God is nature, right? God's, God is the tree or infuses the tree and the, and the grass and the field. The Christianity says, no, God, 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 God's come, God's in tune, God's joined, but God's not nature. God's not fully beyond. Instead, God has pitched God's tent and decided to live here with us for an entire human life. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Uh, Christianity uh, teaches God pitched a tent among us. The question is why? Why was that so important for God to do? Well, John tells us. Uh, we're going to skip the middle part for now, the glory as of a father's only son. We're going to come back to it. But John says one of the things that happens is God comes in Christ. He's full of grace. Full of grace. Uh, grace is, is just... Um, it's just... It's favor, it's, 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 it's love, it's kindness that you don't deserve necessarily. It's just, it's just given. And that word full, plero, it's, it's sort of like, uh, you, when you have a pitcher and you're filling it with water and when the water gets all the way to the top where it's just starting to spill over, that's full, okay? And so Jesus, the Son, the, the, the Word of God, the eternal Word of God comes and is full right up to the, 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 the top with grace. Just overflowing with grace. When I was in school, I visited, uh, after 9-11 happened, um, no, no Americans or uh, Europeans wanted to go visit the Middle East. Um, and so that year, uh, my friend Sid, who was a classics major, he found out that we could go and visit Turkey for like $3. And so I, if you don't know, Turkey is where um, most of the, the early churches were, right? So like we visited the church of Ephesus, um, some of the other ones, Philadelphia. We were able to just travel around, and it was ultra cheap. When we got there, we got to Istanbul, formerly Constantinople, and on the one side of, of there's this, this, like the center of the town, there's the Hagia Sophia, which used to be uh, the center of um, Orthodox Christianity, and then right across the street is the Blue Mosque, kind of one of the big centers of Islam. And because we were male, um, we were able to, to go in and watch during uh, the prayer ceremony of uh, the, the devout Muslims. So I have a picture here of the, uh, the blue mosque. It's fascinating. If you're female, you kind of have to wait in the back. We weren't allowed to go all the way in because we weren't uh, Muslim, but we were able to like, kind of sit in the back and watch. And you hear like, the call to prayer, and then everyone in unison like, bows down. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating, it's a very beautiful ceremony. Um, and, and the reason that the people of Islam do this is because they believe that, uh, that God is, is far away, God is above us, God is away from us. And what, what God wants, Allah, what Allah wants is for us to do certain things, these rituals, so that we can show and prove our submission to Allah and that we can reach out and, and, and ultimately when we die, come into contact with Allah. That's, that's the kind of the theory behind Islam. That uh, human beings, uh, if we do certain things and we follow these certain rules, that we can reach out and we can finally grasp God. In fact, that's probably what most people think Christianity is like, right? Uh, and just if, you, if you're not super familiar with it, you might think that what Christians are doing, if you're good enough and you're kind enough and you love enough people, then, then, then you're reaching up and you're saying, God, look, I'm good enough and I can, I can get to you. I can, I can reach you. And, and now I've, I've found my way to you. Uh, because of the things that I've done and, and, and the way that I've chosen to live my life. Incidentally, that's what Greg Graffin of Bad Religion thinks Christianity is. But that's bad religion. 
That's not what we're doing here. That's, if, if, if there's a leader guy who's telling you, do X, Y, and Z, and then you can finally be with God, you can reach God, that leader guy, whether he's Muslim or Hindu or Christian or whatever, is just wrong. He's lying to you. It's bad religion. So next thing you know, she's bad religion teaches us how to reach God. It says, here's the formula. If you do this, you can finally get to where you want to be, which is with God. But John 1.14 says, no, actually what happened was God came, pitched a tent, settled in here, and was full of grace. God, God came and, and, and said, it said oh, I'm not expecting something from you. I'm going to give you something instead. This is, uh, this is the, the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's creation of Adam. It's a fascinating piece of art. On the right, you see, you know, God surrounded by the angels, right? On the left, you see Adam. Who's doing what here? Right? What's going on is, is, is Michelangelo envisions the Father, God, reaching out to, like, stretching out to just touch, to bring life into this, this man. And look at Adam's posture. Just, he's not looking for anything at all. He's just waiting. He's like, if, if there's life to be had, it's not something that... You almost get the sense that the angels around uh, the Father, around God, are almost like trying to hold him back. Like, why would you do this? Why would you give so freely to this, to this person who obviously doesn't deserve it? It's almost like they're holding him back. And, and God's like reaching out. God, God does that at the very creation. The very gift of life is God reaching out in grace to give it to us, something that we couldn't have on our own, that we don't deserve, and yet God just reaches and gives it to us. But it turns out that's not enough. It turns out that the gift of life is not something that we um, do well with. And the, the, the sad thing about every bad religion that teaches us how to reach God is that if you're honest about it and you're, and you're realistic about what it's asking, it's asking the impossible. There's nothing that we could do that could reach the creator of the universe. How could we possibly be good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, holy enough. And so God looks at us and says, instead of you grasping me, I'm going to grasp you. And so I'm going to go pitch a tent in your neighborhood. And I'm going to welcome you. I'm going to live the life that you can't live. I'm going to bear the responsibilities of your failures. And I'm not going to ask you for anything. I'm just going to do it for free. Because I'm full to the top with grace. Good religion uh, teaches us not how to reach God, but instead teaches us that God in Christ graciously reaches out to us. It's the next thing you know, sheets. But that means something. The fact that God had to do that tells us that, that we're inadequate. It tells us that there's something wrong with us. 
It tells us that we needed God to reach out because we can't reach up. Well, what else? So, so first, we're, uh, Jesus is filled with, with grace. What else is Jesus filled with in the text? He's filled with truth. And uh, I would almost want to just capitalize that T, uh, grace and truth. Um, Jesus is very different uh, from all the, very, all, all the other gods. Um, most of the gods in the pagan world were actually uh, projections of humanity, right? This is, uh, so the, the most famous early uh, modern atheists were uh, Ludwig, Ludwig Feuerbach and uh, Sigmund Freud. And both of them, one of their critiques of religion, of, of, of all religion, is that, is that really God is just a projection of us. We, we kind of make our own, like what we either think about humanity or what we wish about humanity, and we project that onto an invisible fairy being in the sky. Okay? And that's very well uh, demonstrated in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with uh, Thor and Loki, right? Thor and Loki. Um, Thor and Loki uh, are, he's the god of thunder, right? He's a god. And Loki is like the god of tricks. He's the trickster god. And uh, their older sister is the goddess of death. And their dad is Odin the All-Father. Uh, these, these are, but if you look at what they are, how they're described, how they're depicted, and this is very faithful to actual Norse, Norse mythology, they're just a big dysfunctional family. Right? That, that's who the gods are. Like, they come around. Loki's like, he's the one who's always playing tricks on everybody. Odin the All-Father is really hoping that Thor will take over the family business. But Thor is like, I don't know if I want that responsibility. I'd like to go out for a few years, have a, have a walkabout. And then uh, his older sister, the goddess of death, wants to take over and kill all the humans because that would be fun. It's a very, and, it's very, and they're fighting constantly. And if you think about it, 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 it does seem like what the creation of these characters really is, just human beings being like, well, there's something going on up there. And, uh, and presumably the gods like to do the same things we like to do, have, you know, have sex, uh, get power, fall in love, uh, party, you know, uh, fight and, and, and kill. All the stuff that humans do, gods probably do that too. Interestingly, uh, what that means, and this is what Feuerbach and Freud point out, is that human beings, uh, we... We're the ones who create truths about the universe, and we just put them out there. And they say this happens with Christianity, too. Even the Christian God, all the Christian God is, is, is the same thing as, you know, the Norse gods, except the Christian God is us uh, putting out, like, the, our favorite things about ourselves, right? It's like human beings, we love justice, we love mercy, we love these things. And, and, and so we, we've created this, this idea of a God that's like the, the best, the infinite, the perfect version of ourselves. Interestingly, the modern atheists now, the new atheists, uh, they, they say, well, let's just cut out the middleman. Right? If, God, if all God really is is just us projecting the truths that we want to be in the world, well, let's just stop believing in God and let's just be honest about the fact that this is what we want and this is what we do. In fact, Greg Graffin of Bad Religion, who also has a PhD in zoology and teaches at Cornell University, I have a picture of him here like singing, he wrote a book about this. And he's just very honest. He's like, there is no God, but this is how I think things should be, how they are in nature, and so this is how we should live. There is no truth. Except what I make the truth. 
In fact, our secular culture at this point, um, we're in a constant battle where where very few people who um, are in charge of our institutions and our uh, government believe in anything anymore, except that um, they make the truth. And then when they disagree about the truths that they make, they fight. And it's really just all about power. See who can win. Who can impose their way of doing things on others. So ironically, Greg Graffin of bad religion is a practitioner of bad religion. Because bad religion teaches us that we are the makers of all truths. We are the ones who make all truths. And those truths, not the truth, because there isn't one of those. There's just many. That middle part is interesting uh, in the verse, right? Uh, Let's go back to the text. Uh, We've seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son. Glory there is kind of like the marker, the, 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 this is the nature of God. We've seen his nature. And it's the nature as of a father's only son. If you're following the Pew Bibles, uh, the New King James will say, uh, as uh, the only begotten of the father. Very odd phrase, right? Odd, odd, only begotten. Hard to know what that means. The Greek is monogenesis. Uh, uh, and it's like, uh, it, it really, honestly, it, it probably just means something like unique or special or or singular. And the reason is across John's uh, gospel, John's saying, well, Jesus is coming to make us all sons and daughters of God, right? Through faith, we're all going to become part of God's family. But Jesus, the Christ, that son is unique. He's singular. He's different. He's, there's something about Jesus that can't be repeated by us. Jesus' nature is, is somehow wholly other or alien, even though we are added and joined to it. Jesus is a unique expression of the nature and character of God. You guys watch The Chosen? So hot right now. Here's Jesus from The Chosen. They nailed this guy, by the way. I, now, here's the deal. You, you can't watch The Chosen and, and assume that everything's like super accurate to the Bible. But I do think it's a good way uh, for art to point out some interesting and valuable truths, just like I think that Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel helps us see something about God's reaching out. I think The Chosen helps us see something very interesting about Jesus. Um, if, you, if you watch the show, it's undeniable, because you know, he's a human actor, so he's a human being. Um, does anyone know his name? The actor? You probably do, don't you, Mom? But you're scared to yell it. Jonathan Rumi. Well done. Um, Jonathan Rumi, he... Oh, Marilyn knew it. You, you passed the answer? You cheated? You must have been a very, very bad junior high school teacher when you were teaching me. Uh... Marilyn and I go way back. <laughs> um, he, he's, he's very interesting because obviously he's fully human. But the way that uh, Rumi portrays Jesus is there's always something very other about him. There's something unique and special about him. Something that's like beyond human about him. Uh, and, and it comes across in lit, very little like subtle things. It's, I mean, it's a really phenomenal performance, I think. Um, he, he, you, you get the sense that here's somebody who's fully joined, fully with humanity, and yet somehow also completely set apart 
from humanity. Here's somebody who's like deeply, intimately related to these, these, uh, these sinners and tax collectors and, 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 and fishermen. And yet, there's also something about him that's, that's completely, uh, inaccessible. And so there's this odd dichotomy in the person of Jesus Christ, where on the one hand, yes, uh, he's human, and just sort of like Feuerbach and Freud said, he, he does look in a lot of ways like a projection of, of you know, our thoughts, desires. And but there's also something about him that's absolutely singular, absolutely unique, absolutely other, absolutely alien, absolutely divine. And if that's the case, if that's true, then it means that when we celebrate Christmas— we're celebrating the, the revelation, the coming, the exposure, the, 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 the first true seeing of the real capital T truth. Like for the very first time in human history, it's not just us and our you know, projections and thoughts and desires about what the world ought to be like. In fact, no, like the, the, the creator of the world who fully embodies humanity, fully embodies God, comes and says, no, this is what the truth looks like. This is what God looks like. This is what the world looks like. This is what everything actually is. If you know, the scientists are finding out what's going on in the universe, whatever they're finding out in the universe is going to be fully in keeping. It's going to be perfectly... Uh, aligned with the nature and character of this human being who is way beyond a human being. And that's the good religion. Bad religion, we make all the truths we want. Good religion says, no, 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 no. So the next thing in your note sheets. Good religion teaches us that all capital T truth is summed up in Jesus Christ. All the truth you need to know is in this man. This is what it's like. This is what the world is like. This is what the universe is like. This is what God's like right here. Now, that might be a little offensive. Because we're taught to make our own truths. We're taught that we're the ones who are the measure of all things. And moreover, it means if this is the capital T truth, this person, then it means that truth that, that, that he is embodying never changes. It, it's full, it's complete, and it's, you can't mess with it. It's, it's just the way it is. And all you can do is either accept it or go off and do your own thing. And what all this means is that, that for us, what we're doing, what we're celebrating right now, as we're getting ready for Christmas, Christmas Eve service, uh, we, we, we often get you know, caught up with the stories about the, the shepherds and the, the, the humble birth and um, Herod. Have you noticed how horrific the Christmas story is? There's that whole bit where Herod like, murders all the children. In, in, it's kind of a horror story. It's kind of freaky. But we, we sort of skip over that. We have, we have the nice little, you know, the craze. No, no dead children off on the side. Which I get. I mean, it makes sense. But I just, you know, the Bible's not, it's not cute. It's, it's real. Anyway, uh, when we're, we're, really, we're really celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that, we, God, that God shows us we're not good enough. 
And God tells us what the truth is. We're celebrating the fact that God's proven that we're inadequate. And he needs to reach out to us. We're celebrating the fact that we don't know and can't know reality. The incarnation, the coming of the Son, is us being confronted with the fact of our own sin, our own finitude, our own weakness. And that somehow, in a miraculous way, this little baby is going to change all of that. That this little baby is going to correct and forgive our sins, not through our action reaching out to him, but instead him reaching out to us. That this little baby is going to teach us and show us all that is true, all that is real, all that is right. And challenge us to live in light of that. Brothers and sisters, the coming of God to the world is singular. It's unique. And it changes everything about who we know ourselves to be and what we know the world and God to be. And good religion says, God has reached out to us graciously. And God, in Christ, has brought us into all truth. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we welcome again the coming of your unique, your special, your glorious Son. God, we confess uh, in worship and awe that he's just filled to the top with your grace, your, your love, your kindness, your forgiveness, your mercy, and filled to the top with the truth about what the world's like and who, what you're like and what we're like. God, may we not be ashamed of the story of the coming, of your coming in Christ. May instead we be in awe that a little baby born into a world of destitution and violence is the vessel of ultimate grace and ultimate truth now and forever. Lord Jesus, we welcome you again, and in your name we pray, amen.